That's my favorite intro yet. It might be. <laughs> That's legit. We sound professional. Welcome to <laughs> welcome to episode four of the Strength Ratio podcast, and today we'll be discussing concurrent training. And we're going to talk about how the sustainable model that we have and our considerations of concurrent training is different than a CrossFit program, how it's different than a weightlifting program exclusively, uh, of course, because it's supposed to involve some mix of strength and cardio modalities, and how it's different than just a cardio program outright. So what we're going to do is we're going to define our terms first, explain what concurrent training is. We're going to explain what all we have to balance, what variables are at play. Uh, preventing us from optimizing many different things at once and how we may have to uh, create a hierarchy uh, and understand with our own personal needs analysis what should come first as a another goal takes a back seat just for a short time. Um, but before we get in too far into the variables, we're just going to define our terms. We have Eric Sobolisky. And Kyle here, Becca, unfortunately, is sick and cannot make it today, but Sobo is going to kick us off with a working definition that we'll use today for concurrent training. So in general, concurrent, concurrent training is the training model in which you have multiple modal- modalities that you are aimed at training. So you're to think about this as you're looking at trying to improve strength, strength, endurance, and some type of cardiorespiratory fitness all at the same time. So you're concurrently working on improving multiple facets of fitness, not just one. So traditionally, you think I'm on a strength program, I'm trying to improve the facet of strength in my workout, or I'm doing cardio and I'm running and I'm working on my cardiovascular or cardiorespiratory fitness, and you work on those you know, exclusively to themselves. But a concurrent training program works on both maybe two or three or all of them at the same time, trying to benefit all of them and not just one of them. All right. So if we have many different goals for a single training program, uh, we have many different variables at play, Uh, especially when we get into weight training, we have the load that you're using for your weights. We have the number of repetitions that you're performing it uh, or performing it, performing a particular exercise. And then, of course, the total volume per session. And with endurance, we have uh, time considerations. We have uh, considerations of how quickly you're performing that particular exercise, which lends hand to another talk of intensity. Uh, Of course, it's not an external load, but uh, this would be the change in heart rate and other physiological variables that go into pushing yourself harder with more intensity in cardiovascular training. So we're going to have to discuss how we manage these, when best to push one, when best to push the other. And we also have to talk about the time available. Time is a finite resource. We're not all professional athletes. In fact, there probably isn't a single professional athlete listening to this podcast um, or who really follows us at all, uh, truly. Um, But, you know, the first thing that I'd like to kick off with is if we have a new client who wants to say get better, uh, generally speaking, at their cardiovascular fitness, as well as general strength. They might not specify absolute strength. They might not even say strength endurance or hypertrophy, whatever. Um, Is this something that's very hard to do? Is it easier than we think? 
um, what's the first step with that client? So to kind of preface this all, as human beings, and I know if I've said this before, but Zach and Kyle like the whole metaphor is that human beings in general, we're generalists. So we're not the fastest animal in the kingdom. So if we had to rely on our speed, we'd probably get eaten by a bear or a lion. We're not the strongest because there's gorillas and water buffaloes and elephants out there that are way stronger than us. So we're kind of a, a nice mix of being strong and strong enough and being fast and fast enough and then being able to do both simultaneously. So in overall human beings and when a normal person or a non-athlete or a non-elite athlete, we're all kind of athletes in our own realm, that wants to start a program, you got to think most of it is making them better at being generally stronger, generally more cardiovascularly fit. So to single-handedly put somebody on a strength program who wants to get in better shape, you're only focusing on one aspect you know, of the whole, all the variables, and you're really discounting quite a few other ones. So the first thing is you got to understand that if you're training people in general, they want to be good in all those domains unless they specify that they just want to get a stronger bench press. But now let's say that even if they want just a stronger bench press, what evidence is there to say that some form of concurrent training or some involvement in the case of the person who wants just a bigger bench press, that some type of aerobic or cardiovascular training would be of uh, any assistance at all? So we you know we were going to talk about this, but we can dive into it now is, is the interference effect. So People worry if they want to get stronger, if they do cardio, they're going to you know, lose their strength, right? If I want to run, am I going to not get stronger? Well, we're all going to get stronger. You just might not get stronger at that same rate of somebody who's just doing a pure strength program. But you know, that's where it comes into the, how you train. So bench press and running, there's really not a lot of interference. You know, you're not running with your arms, so your arms aren't going to hit that fatigue and kind of do some adaptations with running. But with legs or kind of total body, there's going to be a little interference, but all it does is just kind of interfere, diminish the rate at which you grow, not necessarily it inhibits growth period. So it's like, oh, if I do bench press only, I'm going to go from 220 to 250. If I do bench press and running, I might go from 220 to 245, but I'll also have good cardiovascular health as well. So you got to kind of look at the 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 interference isn't quite as great as we once thought because we really haven't pushed this envelope until probably the last five or six years. I mean, by pushing the envelope, you mean we haven't even really researched it yet? There, you know, there's, there's research out there on it. And in, in, in being a researcher in the science world, you have to take research in perspective and sometimes with a grain of salt because you're dealing with a very specific controlled outcome where I'm doing 60 minutes of weight training and 60 minutes of cardio, or I'm doing 30 minutes of weight training and 30 minutes of cardio. I mean, the, the variables are very controlled for. And mm -hmm. so the research in general says strength training improves strength training, improves your strength, but doesn't improve your cardiorespiratory fitness or your VO2. Then VO2 training or endurance training, cardiorespiratory training improves your VO2, but not strength. But then concurrent training improves both um, and could be at the same rate or maybe a little diminished in both. So being a generalist as human beings, 
concurrent training is the model which we all should do. And we, we talked about this a little bit before the podcast. So probably the biggest you know, variable in concurrent training that keeps people from progressing is just is time. Um, so if you have certain goals and you're looking to hit those goals, uh, for example, the bench press we said, you want to put the most time you can into that specific goal, right? But when you're trying to hit, you know, two separate goals at the same time, so let's say the bench press and so what you said before, a 5K, uh, that's where like, if you have to fit both of those into the time allotment, that's where you're not going to see, you know, the, the optimal rate of gains. It's not that you won't still get good at both of them. It's just like you can't, by not focusing on one, you're not going to get uh, as great as that single goal as you could if you focused on one. Um, and so that, I mean, m- most of the stuff I, like if you had the whole day to train, uh, concurrent training would like, you could do everything really to an extent. And, you know, there's certain variables that won't align together well in terms of how your body adapts. But if you had the whole day, you had unlimited time, uh, you could do a lot of different things at the same time, right? Exactly. I mean, that's kind of the world we're in is, do you have enough time to train? And if you do, how do you train accordingly? I mean, if you want to get stronger, let's say you have all the time in the world, when you're up and early in the morning, you're fresh, you hit a heavy squat, and then you wait eight hours until you can train again. And you have the ability to go out and run, you know, three miles. So you got your strength training in when you were fresh, and you're so you can use all that neurological adaptations. And then later in the day, you can do a hard workout on the track or you know on the road and get the benefits of that you know so if you look at some of them with the crossfit models where they have a lot of the crossfits are now kind of professional athletes they have the ability to do multiple training sessions in one day but they have that luxury the rest of us have an hour and a half 45 minutes at the gym even you know professional athletes and college athletes they have you know an hour in the gym four days a week so they can't you know just do bench press and squats one day. They got to do multiple exercises just like you or I have to. When you acknowledge this um, too much versus too little, because uh, oftentimes with the interference effect, we're, we're talking about athletes who eventually take on too much and, and there's diminished returns um, in perhaps more areas than one. At least what I've noticed is that the CrossFit athlete will be the first to take on too much. In that they will take because there is so much to do because there is so much to do yeah. that and, and like we say like when we write CrossFit programs it takes us a good amount of time because there are more confounding variables so the more variables you have at hand the the easy or the the easier it becomes to have the interference effect kick in of course to what extent depends on um, you know what you're looking to accomplish but um, I think the CrossFitter when left to their own devices will perhaps choose a separate squat program layered on top of a separate weightlifting program layered on top of, you know, uh, Ben Bergeron's comp train program. So, of course, that's going to be too much. And even if you had the time, that's not how you would try to manage fatigue with a concurrent training plan because those are, are three separate programs that are meant to be done on their own, all combined for one. Um, so we find a medium there where you can still get in your cardio, your weightlifting, and your Metcon for the CrossFitter, but not overlapping three separate programs. And as for the powerlifter or for the weightlifter, there seems to be this stigma attached where 
if they're left to their own devices, they might just do too little, right? They'll mm-hmm. be super specific all the time, even when they're far out of competition. There's, I mean, forget talking about aerobic training. There's no like reps over five. So yeah. what's that happy medium between getting the power lifter and weightlifter to understand how to periodize around a competition and just general benefits of aerobic health and cardiovascular fitness, and then for the CrossFitter to develop a plan where they don't just beat themselves into the ground if they actually have the time to do all these things. And that's that's not easy. Yeah, I, I think it all, it, it really starts with, so when you have your goals, but you also have the needs analysis for the sport. So uh, Sobo, you gave the example of a uh, maybe a college athlete, uh, but this could apply to, again, like the powerlifter Zach was just talking about. You know, you have the things that are required for your sport. So uh, for the college athlete, yeah, they need to be strong, but they also need some good conditioning to be able to play a sport. So again, like you said, if they only have an hour, they don't have the luxury to split up into multiple sessions uh, or uh, across the week to only be doing one thing a day. They have to combine it together. And those, those athletes are obviously very strong and very well conditioned. And then in the case of the power lifter, you have the needs of the sport itself, so to be as strong as possible. Uh, but then, you know, for most people, you also want to think so with a sustainable training model, uh, you have the performance aspects, but also the health. So if you're a powerlifter and you're only focused on the strength aspect of, aspect of the sport, you're going to be leaving a lot of those health uh, benefits uh, by the wayside and, uh, and actually some performance benefits as well if you're so specific that you think you only need strength. Yeah, we had we had a one our powerlifter at our own gym. He he doesn't follow uh, an individualized plan that we write. He actually just says open gym. He does his own thing, and he had just finished uh, a competition. He performed pretty well. He was diving back into uh, whatever he had in mind. I don't even know if he did. He just showed up to the gym, and Kyle made some recommendations uh, to open up into. Like I said, we're not even talking for this powerlifter about cardio. It's just sets of ten. Sets of ten. They have never done this before. And he seemed to really enjoy his training, came the next day and he was <laughs> sore as shit. Um, but, you know, for that weightlifter to even just open up to sets of 10, he gets technique practice, he gets uh, perhaps tenderness adaptation. So there are all these benefits uh, that really apply to where you are in your season. Mm-hmm. Um, and there's a, there's a lot of, besides just sets of 10, even having him do some cardio, there's a lot of benefits from just improving the aerobic system that will help his recovery once he goes into strength uh, and so on. So there's uh, you have like the specifics of your sport, but kind of like we talked about uh, last podcast with training a little bit of the underlying systems with uh, youth athletes before you get specific, uh, those you have to remember those underlying systems kind of are the foundation that can help the peak be much higher. So uh, people have mentioned this before with kind of like, you know, uh, one, we have our pyramid, but just like a pyramid approach uh, in general where the foundation helps the top be much taller. Mm-hmm. And we just had a, a question come in saying, well, can't you do intervals, right? Because that would be, uh, you know, intervals don't take as long. They're mm-hmm. of high intensity. Can't you do intervals to support uh, a foundation of cardiovascular health? And I think that's where we get into, uh, we, we could dive into some of the general uh, physiology behind uh, the interval training itself, but 
ultimately, I think it becomes a matter of uh, managing fatigue of a particular bout of exercise and how intense it is. Well, also what's required for your sport, right? So yeah. like uh, an example of the power lifter, they might be able to just do some intervals to, to help their general aerobic or anaerobic capabilities be increased um, because past a point they don't need to have, like they don't need to be doing like an hour, 90 minute run. Uh, but if someone's looking to build the best aerobic base that they can, they do need those longer mm-hmm. um, pieces to help fuel the shorter, more intense pieces. Yeah. And then from a, a fatigue standpoint, if you do have that weightlifter or powerlifter and they're far out from competition, let's just say the weightlifter and powerlifter is trying to add some uh, some mass or they're just in a high volume block. Well, they could get extra quad sets from doing assault bike sprints, right? Yeah. Uh, but there's a lot of fatigue there. It might just, it might detract from uh, midweek to end week squat sessions. So, you know, if they're in that, that GPP block outside of a competition, fine. If they're trying to do intervals, but they have a competition in a month and you're trying to balance fatigue, that's just probably not as specific as you ought to be. And you might just be better prepared doing something low and slow, like you said, to help with recovery. Yeah. I think, I think before we get too much, uh, uh, I was dubbed the uh, guy to pull us back if we start getting too much in the weeds. Because this is just the intro. We're going to dive into many different layers of this. And how you'd actually program. And how you'd program for it. So Kyle is supposed to be our like uh, fetcher out of the rabbit hole, but I think he facilitated there for a bit. So, so we talked about uh, time in the gym, which I think is uh, the biggest factor, or just time in general is the biggest factor to why uh, concurrent training uh, either works or doesn't work because you have a goal, you have the things that you're looking to achieve, uh, and then it becomes a matter of how much time do you have allotted to achieve these goals. Uh, if you have a very specific goal, then you want to spend the majority of your time on that goal. But if you're trying to do many things at once, that's where it becomes uh, like uh, a hard to program in or a lot enough time for each single area. And then from there, we talked a little bit about loading and volume, which is just fatigue management becomes kind of like the second thing you want to focus on. Do you have, do you have anything you want to add, um, Sobo? Um, one thing I want to talk about, and we'll dive into this more probably in another episode, but the fact that the neuromuscular system and the metabolic system are related but not completely inclusive to each other. I, I I think that we forget that muscle contraction and metabolism are related, but they don't depend on each other. So I think a lot of people get confused when we talk about concurrent training is that there isn't a metabolic effect of strength training. Your body, your, in order to cause muscle contraction, you need to have energy. You need ATP. One of the big things with muscle contraction is you need ATP to, to um, energize the myosin cross bridges. So you still need energy. And if you need that energy now in a big power lift, you're going to need that energy later. So having an aerobic base or a metabolic base that allows for you to recover between sets or the fact that you cause muscle damage in the phosphagen system that you use during weightlifting that's not healing your body at night. That's not helping you recover. So you need to focus on 
all three systems, the kind of your neuromuscular system, that, you know, contraction, you need to focus on that aerobic, which you get through inter- the anaerobic, excuse me, that you get through the intervals, but then also this huge aerobic base that plays a role into what we call concurrent training. So in, in the example that you have, um, and I'll, I'll take the power lifter first, and then we'll talk about perhaps the crossfitter. For the power lifter who is used to squatting with high intensity, with low volume, uh, who wants to phase into some concurrent type training, uh, we might start them with uh, low bouts or sorry, uh, you know, low frequency bouts of low intensity exercise. But we also, like we've mentioned, might open up the rep ranges to where they're doing sets of 10 or sets of eight. But let's say for a set of 10 and for a set of eight, if uh, a recommendation for a set of 10, eight is what? 70% of max? Yeah, it So if that power lifter can only do 50%, they're probably not going to be able to take advantage of any like intensity response or stimulus from doing those mid rep ranges. Uh, that, that might just be a red flag that if a power lifter can do only 50% for a set of 10, there's really just a lot left on the table to, to gain in terms of, uh, getting more volume in, potentially adding more muscle mass and improving technique. And that's kind of what we saw with our power lifter a few days ago. Conversely, if you have the weightlifter, sorry, the CrossFitter, who is so adept at cycling lightweight fast, yet absolute strength and even basic strength, like reps three through six, are affected, we have these uh, imbalances, so to speak. We can pretend to know theoretical numbers by which someone ought to do something relative to a max, but sometimes it's just very obvious. And that's where the needs analysis becomes so important, right? If you are the CrossFitter who is really lacking in their absolute strength, then you know to save energy. Like we said, we're, we're dealing with a lot of variables here. Then you know that you cut down on your volume. That saves a lot of energy. You raise the intensity. For the power lifter, you drop the neural fatigue of intensity. You increase your volume. So if you are going into this with zero understanding of what you need, it might be overwhelming. Uh, if you have some sense and usually folks are pretty spot on as to what they are or are not proficient at, this task becomes a lot easier. Though we think that if someone were to say, well, you're just talking about CrossFit, we don't really think that's the best example if intensity is always high and you're always trying to, at the same rate, improve your strength and skill. Yeah. One, um, I think a good topic for this uh podcast because i think it stays still very general is um uh, sobo are there certain styles or types of training that fit together better than others uh so you have uh you know let's say you're long slow aerobic you likely wouldn't want to do that with speed training right so that type of concurrent training maybe wouldn't be best uh but what kind of uh variables types or styles of trainings fit better together than others well when you say training styles, when you look inside like a training block, so if you're really good at writing programming programs and looking on how to balance this, you know, we talked about kind of this tangled web we weave when we try to do concurrent training, like you can actually balance them as long as you know how the systems interact. So, you know, a rule of thumb is strength training always before cardio because you're just, you're just exhausted physically. You still may be able to hit a squat. 
but you're not going to be able to hit your best squat. Or if you hit that squat, you might just be fatigued after doing, you know, 100 repeats or something. So you can, you can balance it by understanding the demand of the workout. So you can do a heavy, heavy squat and then go crush a 5k erg, right? There's really no, the, the interlap between the two is my one RM on my squat requires a high intensity. So 95 plus percent. But then if I'm rowing on an erg, yes, I'm doing the same type motion, but I'm pushing off with maybe 50% of my body weight. So that those two systems, even though they look like they're related, are completely different because they're looking at completely different kind of uh, paradigms on the motor recruitment program. So Heavy strength, you're recruiting those high, fast-twitch muscle fibers with a high recruitment threshold. In a low-moderate, you're recruiting the slow-twitch muscle fibers, and you're not interfering with that at all. So you can do you know, a heavy squat and then go run. I mean, will the run feel great? Depends on how heavy the squat was and how hard you had to grind. Or you do your speed work. Your speed work is more related to kind of your moderate volume stuff. So... I, your, your speed, when you want to do speed work, you want to do that as fast as you can. So you want to be fresh. And then if you want to hit your moderate volume afterwards, you know, if you want to do your sets of, you know, five to eight, kind of your moderate volume, then that's the time to do it after you do a quick neurological speed work. So you kind of just have to be able to balance what the demand is. And you got to kind of have to know the demand. And I'm sure we're going to get into more of exactly what exercises have what either neurological demand or metabolic demand. But if you know those, you can say, I can train, you know, three, all three of my energy systems and my strength training or my strength system, you know, in the same time, maybe not the same day, but if I have a good program, a good sustainable program, I may be able to hit those each once a week and be fine. Yeah. And I think there's this dissonance between the expectations versus reality of people's training programs, where if we ask someone, Hey, have you ever tried or do you wish to PR? And so this is someone like a trained individual to PR your uh, back squat and simultaneously PR your 5K. They'll probably know if they've been training long enough that, and they'll have that feeling. They're like, I don't know if I can do that. Right. Like through trial and error, we, we may have all gotten there. Um, and then if you let them know that, well, look, that's probably not going to happen unless for whatever reason they were horribly untrained in one. Oh, right, yeah, I they, think that's another conversation. They, how trained are how they? How trained are they? But if they, if they are trained, you know, you, you say, okay, well, what if we get like 100% gains here and then maintenance or slight gains in this other area? They'll be like, oh, that's totally fine. But then in their program, they have this like all-in mentality that isn't sustainable that tries to get to both at the same rate. And I just think sometimes people get swept up in their training where they lose sight of their goals. Yeah. Where they're like, well, I'm just doing all this stuff. I'm going to keep doing all of it. But they forget like, okay, well, what what is it that I actually want to improve? Yeah. Or what is it that my sport has revealed that I have to improve? Have you noticed that with any of your athletes or just in yourself too? With trying to improve everything? Yeah. Yeah. I uh, I do think people like to try to improve everything at the same time and if they um aren't doing something they feel like it's 
like all of a sudden they're going to be back at zero. Yeah, like people have a hard time just like maintaining a certain aspect of fitness. Yeah, because it doesn't feel hard. Mm-hmm. Uh, but um, so so I, I was actually going to ask with, with Sobo as well. So you're talking about like okay, so if we know how to program uh, appropriately, you can do all this at once. You just have to take into account the different systems, how one might affect the the other, uh, and We've kind of talked about before, um, you know, if you, uh, you can talk about like the ABC labeling each kind of area uh, as like A being high intensity, B being moderate, C being low, but also maybe talking about so like how if you have these, you can have one, uh, what's, what Zach just said, maybe on, on maintenance as the, the other is kind of like being pushed or peaked and, the, and maybe the other one's kind of in the middle volume and then you can fluctuate that over time. Uh, as they like, kind of like, you know, in a wave fashion, go across each other uh, to where there's still a steady straight incline across time. Could, do you want to talk about that a little, Sobo? So, kind of the, the ABCs. It's kind of if you know, it's kind of like a tier system for everything. If you know, kind of Joe Ken's tier system with his ideas, you basically put the energy systems in your training program in kind of a, a rank order. So. You know, A's being your high intensity, which, you know, if you do A, you're going to be pretty fried out to do anything else. Well, if you do B, that's kind of your moderate. And you do C, that's kind of your just long, slow stuff. So you can – you the best example is to kind of look at like a runner or a, a swimmer. Those are kind of the easiest models to kind of go in through without like doing pure like reps and sets. But you think if you got a, a runner, you're going to go out and your high intensity day may be five 100-meter sprints as hard as you can go. And then the next day might be, you know, moderate, you know, 400 meter repeats. Maybe you do four of those or three of those, but you do them at a significantly little pace. And then that level, that category C is I'm going to go run four miles. So if you can balance all of those and understand that, okay, where am I in my season? Where am I lacking? Well, if I can go run five miles pretty easily, well, I probably don't need to focus on C as much but my 100 meter sprint time is 22 seconds. I probably could focus on that a little bit more. And that if I improve a B is going to improve and C is going to improve kind of just the fact that I just got faster. So they work kind of downstream. So you kind of have, you prioritize them where you are and understand that there's still going to be some, some carryover between the two. That's what's so great about our human body is that we adapt in multiple different ways. But if I do a, I can do, I can think, okay, I'll do an A day and then I'll do an AC day or just a B day. And you can kind of put it in blocks like that and then further break that down into what exactly exercises make an A category that are going to be high intensity, really strenuous on my body. And then what's my C category that's low and slow. If you think and you look at and you read anything from, you know, the main CrossFit guys, they're there's a lot of times that they just do some long, slow rowing. I mean, they're on an erg for 30 minutes just rowing. I mean, I know you think Kalipa is probably one of the best going back a few years. The guy could just grind on an erg. And so he, he could train in his at sea level and just crush it. And, you know, I've seen some documentaries on, on uh, Matt Frazier. And, you know, very often it's 8 o'clock at night and he goes down in his little basement. And he hits a 30-minute erg piece while he's, you know, between dinner and bed. Yeah, and, and there was a video that Fraser just posted yesterday of him doing snatches. In the back of the video, Froning's going like really slow on a bike, 
and then intermittently doing like side planks and other core work. Like that we we write that for our. I was really happy to see that because we write that for our our athletes quite often as that part C, so to speak. And I think that you know that's a really good micro kind of like weak insight uh, into the ABC. But you know you can peel this out and draw a connection to what we spoke about with general fitness characteristics and developing a young CrossFitter. Like rather than seeing this, and I think folks have a hard time with this, but if they are competitive and want to be competitive, you know, if you can think about it on like a two, three, four year basis, you know, what's the average age of the competitive CrossFitter? What's the average age of the competitive weightlifter or powerlifter? You can start to develop this sustainable long-term mindset. So with a lot of our athletes, we discuss those very things like, oh, well, like Grace is here with her training, but she's 23 mm-hmm. and she's almost going to make a world team for weightlifting, but there's a lot left in her CrossFit abilities, but the CrossFit uh, athlete doesn't peak until they're 26 and the weightlifter may not peak until later on. So that prevents us from pushing too hard too soon and doing anything silly to, to risk injury, just taking this larger ABC approach uh, relative to what the best in their sport are doing and when they peak. So I think that's very important because we just get so wrapped up in the, the current mesocycle that we lose sight of this larger plan. Um, another thing that I wanted to mention was that concurrent training does a ton for motivation. Like how often in our needs analysis do we not want to do that top priority thing? Mm-hmm. Like we've selectively chosen the things we're good at because we like doing it and we'll continue doing it. But then when we look at that needs analysis, we're like, shit, like I have to keep doing deadlifts and I hate deadlifts. But if I have this concurrent based training, I'm not just on a program to improve my deadlift and I'm miserable. And I just am not inspired to train because then it's all worth shit. Instead, I have these other things I can practice. Perhaps I can throw in some technique and skill training, some bodybuilding and, and cardio. As long as I know how to prioritize it, I won't get burnt out, um, which is a mistake I think a lot of people make when, quote unquote, trying to attack weaknesses. Well, even even when you attack weaknesses in a, in a true good concurrent training model, so you want to get your deadlift stronger. Well, think about the muscles that work in a deadlift, your posterior tra- chain, your, you know, erector spinae, your big back muscles, your hamstrings, your glutes. Well, those work doing, you know, lunges and squats and front squats and step ups. So to say I only have to get better at doing lunges by or, or deadlifts by doing deadlifts, that's, you know, kind of saying you're not capable of improving in other areas and helping your deadlift. So you don't have to deadlift every day to be good at deadlift. Yeah, you hit that super specificity model, but if you can lunge heavy and squat heavy, I'm sure you're gonna, your back's going to be strong enough to do some heavy deadlifts. And that goes back to our first podcast and just talking about those who are injured, right? Like if, if the person who's injured is still so set on the one to two exercises that they know to get whatever desired, uh, like muscles bigger or performance outcome bigger, Yet those very things are the things that are causing them pain because they've overdone it. They they totally miss out on all the many other exercises that while they may not be the best to improve said performance or hypertrophy said muscle group, they're still on the table. Like I'm amazed at how uh, boring I see some of these weightlifting and powerlifting plans. It's just specific all the time. Like it never changes. Like why why would weightlifter lunge? Why wouldn't they? 
Why wouldn't they pull from a different angle? It, it, it's not like we have to all of a sudden, because the weightlifters, there's still this mindset, well, like we're not going to do CrossFit. And there's this like old school mentality about it where like just getting outside of the comfort zone can help attack so many of these issues of motivation, uh, reducing risk of injury, uh, just not sh- being like really shitty at one particular thing that could have an adverse effect on your own sport, whether you're a runner and your strength is so weak that you have tendons that can't uh, last you your race, or you're a power lifter or weightlifter who, who just can't repeat uh, an effort that uh, that they ought to hit on the platform. Well, that, that, that's a, a great kind of idea that this is kind of a physical therapy model. And, you know, I know a lot of great physical therapists who have strength and conditioning backgrounds and they know their thing. And one thing with talking to them all the time, especially with people who get injured a lot and are deadlifted and they just want to keep deadlifting, is don't train the the exercise or the lift, but chain but train the joint movement. Can so you give an if you're looking at knee extension or hip extension or back extension, that's all in a deadlift. Well, how do I how can I train that in other areas without doing the deadlift? So if I get a stronger lower back. Of course, it's going to help me do a deadlift and it might help me stay healthy because I'm not doing 1,000 reps of deadlift a week. So train the, the, the joint motion, not the exercise. Yeah, that, that kind of – I think we mentioned this in the first podcast, but it's like there's no – I mean you have movements that are required for your sport and you'll have to do them at the competition. But like in training – there's nothing that like you absolutely have to do. And actually taking time off from some of those movements, like you just said, doing things that uh, are uh, similar movements to the main uh, lift or exercise can actually be really good. So like if you were if you're squatting, but you know right after competition, you took some time to not squat and only do like leg press or hack squat or, or lunges, like that can actually be really good because uh, it's changing the, the joint movement. It's giving you um, uh, a little time to rest from that movement. Like it's just, it's going to be, could be way more beneficial in the long run. Like you don't always have to squat, deadlift, bench, clean and jerk, snatch, or or whatever it is required for your sport. Yeah, and then sometimes it just comes down to maybe start experimenting. Like take, not take risks, but just uh, take a break, change it up. Um, I remember Breck Contreras not too long ago. So, but do you follow? No, you're not on social media. Uh, in case anyone really Twitter. wants, I got Twitter. He's on Sobo's on Twitter, um, but if there's enough demand, uh, maybe perhaps we'll take a poll on Instagram, trying to assign a petition to get Sobo on Instagram or, or even on just Facebook. We'll we'll, we'll try to uh, enact that. But on Instagram, Sobo, which is a social media platform, um, Brett Contreras did this experiment it was just machines yeah and he found that uh i forget and how it affects yeah so he's like okay i'm just yes specific to squat deadlift and bench if i just use machines will i see any gains and i think the gain he had some gains in certain lifts and and some not in others i think it helped his deadlift and i think he was doing hip thrust as well he was doing hip thrust it helped his deadlift and bench but squats notoriously been his weakest lift Mm -hmm. And I think he said it didn't help his squat. Yeah. So, so, you know, just this idea that you can break the mold of all of the other things you see people doing 
understanding that, you know, we, we can mix it up. You don't have to do a particular exercise, especially if you're out of season, especially if that exercise causes you discomfort. Um, doing those very things will help you in the long term from a motivational standpoint, from a health standpoint. Sam, we went down this rabbit hole real quick. I got, we actually, we got, we're working on a study right now. We're finishing up. We're going to write it. I'm working with a few of my colleagues. And we did um, deadlift. We did a whole deadlift study. And um, I didn't help collect the data, but I'm kind of help writing it up right now. But the, the point of the study was in order to teach progression through the deadlift, do we put people on a deadlift bar right away? So it was a 12-week study. and We had a couple different groups. And just to give you an idea is we tested them like half beginning, halfway point and end point. And we did the first time they were all kind of you know, moderately trained weightlifters, not, you know, super trained. So deadlifting might not be the, you know, the everyday lift for them. And so what they did is we had a group just do deadlift training, just pure with a bar. We had one group do four weeks of deadlift training on a hammer deadlift machine. You probably, I don't know if you've ever seen one of those. It's got like two handles and you kind of load the plates on the side. Yeah. Yeah. I've seen them. And then, then from there they went four weeks of hammer strength deadlift four weeks of hex bar deadlift and then the last four weeks of straight bar deadlift. And then we had another group do um, just hex bar deadlift and then deadlift and then just um, the hammer strength and then the deadlift. And we showed that the progression through gives you just as much gains as if you just did the straight dead bar, uh, straight bar deadlift the whole time. So, same type movement, different variations showed the same gains in strength 12 weeks later. So, so what trained are the individuals? Uh, moderately trained college students. So, I mean, we're, we're talking kind of a, the, the, that kind of specific group. So you rec like recreationally trained college students. They both progress equally the same if they strictly do straight bar deadlift compared to a mixture of the other ones. And the argument against that would be that it lacks specificity or that perhaps there's too much technique to tackle, so to speak, right? Well, the, the idea was the deadlift, you know, specificity of a deadlift, do they get gains or can you do deadlift-like exercises that may not be as, you know, technical driven until they develop that strength? So you put a, you know, somebody who hasn't really trained that much and they tell them to pick up a bar, they're going to use all their back. But if you put them on that hammer strength machine, it kind of forces them to lean back a little bit and they can sit back and pull more vertically. So we try to use it kind of as a teaching aid to show that similar exercises elicit similar gains as long as there's still a training stimulus at the end. And that's kind of that, uh, uh, that transfer of training idea, right? Yeah, pretty much. Yes. Yeah, that's what we were kind of looking for. Cause think about it. Do you really want to squat all the time, you know, if you're a big dead, a big power lifter and you're squatting three days a week, two days a week for 54 weeks a year. I mean, I mean, mentally that would just kind of mess with you, let, let, let alone physiologically. Yeah. So do you have anything you want to add in real quick, Seth? I, I think the more that I, and this is just like total personal preference, but the more we talk about this, because people often ask us what our own goals are. And, and, you know, I, like, I just have zero interest in going all in on spe like specializing in one thing. Mm -hmm. 
but even our athletes who do specialize and compete in national levels, like if you look at their program, right, when done correctly, you get such an array of exercises. I just, I'm thinking about like how, how do you even keep your head in the game? Like our weightlifters don't do snatch and clean and jerk all year round at the same intensities, but you, you see all these programs of weightlifters doing like fucking like 90% snatch and clean and jerk all year round and crossfitters doing high intensity metcons all year round. This is kind of why we exist. We're like this in between, like this middleman to help people from falling off the cliff or, or try to like catch them after they fall and reel them back in because you don't have to be doing the same thing all the time. In fact, if you are, you will likely have a finite time in which you're doing that before you get burnt out. And to realize that like the weightlifter doesn't have to be a crossfitter by simply doing 20 minutes of low intensity cardio and that the crossfitter doesn't lose their crossfitness by doing bodybuilding. It just makes for a, a more sustainable plan. I think we like niche ourselves into like what's cool based on the demands of the sport without realizing how much else we can like borrow from this realm and borrow from another. Yeah. Cause I, I remember like when, so, so when Sobo and I met, I was deep down the rabbit hole in CrossFit and he was like, Sobo says to me, he says, you know what the best sensation is in the gym? And I was like, what? And he was like, that bicep pump. <laughs> and I was like, Dr. Swole. What? <laughs> if you, are on, if you are, are on Twitter and you're listening, he, he used to be there under Dr. Swole, but you can follow Sobo. Uh, what is your handle now? Dr. Underscore Sobo. Dr. Underscore Sobo. Neither of us are on Twitter, but uh, you can keep up with us on Instagram uh, at Strength Ratio um, and on Facebook. Yeah. And I, I was just going to add, like, so it sounds like we're kind of closing. I out. think that I, well, I yeah. tried to close it, but I was just going to add, so kind of like a summary, uh, like, I think of this podcast as we're just kind of introducing current training. Later, we're going to go, you know, more into the weeds and specific areas about how to actually balance everything uh, and what um, uh, things, what ideas to think of when writing a program. But just the summary of this one is like kind of the biggest things is you have to think about the time that you have uh, uh, appropriately managing loading slash intensity and volume. And then also uh, how the different physiological variables come to play running your program, which ones fit together, which ones to put first versus last, uh, which ones can uh, be separated a little bit, so on and so on. So I think those are kind of like the three big things, right? Time, physiological variables, and then loading volume. That was a beautiful summary. Was that was that good, Sobo? Did really I get a high five? Great. <laughs> awesome. So yeah, if you are a programming geek or coach, you know, you'll take out a pen and paper for the upcoming episodes where we dive into more detail, but hopefully this is a good intro for you. Um, we will hopefully stay on this weekly track, but if not, we'll definitely keep up as often as able, certainly every two weeks. Just keep sending your questions in and we'll make sure to answer them and kind of changing directions and stopping where we need to based on the questions that come in. Uh, thanks so much for listening guys and have a great day. See ya.